Welcome to the Discovery Pod, where we talk to leading experts from the University of Adelaide about solutions to society's most pressing challenges. Superstars of STEM is a nationwide initiative aiming to curb gender assumptions about scientists and increase the public visibility of women in STEM. Joining me on Discovery Pod today are our three current superstars in STEM. Dr. Sam Munro, postdoctoral research fellow and ecology expert, Dr. Hannah Wadil, postdoctoral research fellow and oncology support expert, and Dr. Jiawen Li, Adelaide Medical School lecturer, optical engineer, and inventor. Congratulations to you all for being selected as our superstars in STEM. I understand that it's a really high honour. And Hannah, I'd love if you could explain to me a little bit about the program. Absolutely. So it's a program exactly like you said. It's uh, to curb gender stereotypes around exactly what a scientist should look like and act like. And we are really um, put into a, a program that aims to promote or give us the skills to enhance our public profile and to be confident thought leaders in our field. And in doing so, we act as really positive role models for young girls interested in pursuing a career in science. And we go out and do school visits, but also we are I suppose, uh, injected into a big cohort of previous superstars as well. And this acts as a really beautiful network of supportive women in STEM that we can, you know, spitball ideas around and, and look to advice from. Awesome. So how long are you a superstar in STEM? Is it a year or is it a, a lifelong thing? Our program is two years, I believe. And, uh, but I, I understand that we get the opportunity to really use this network for forever, really. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So, Jalen, how did it feel getting selected? I was so thrilled. I, yeah. I actually, the, the moment I read that email, I couldn't believe it was me. So I read it twice. Yeah. I was making sure that it's actually to my name and all the program is correct. Because, you know, like last year was a year of uncertainty and my mm-hmm. life was also totally like went upside down because yeah. of the pandemic. And so I was questioning my research and everything and, and then saw this email and all of a sudden all those opportunities opens up to us and also the peer support. I think that's one thing I really love about this program. There is a professional development, but there's also all the network, all the good friends we actually made through this program. And so it was really amazing. And also really the, the public profile. I think that is one thing like really useful for our work and career. It tells us how to set up the public profile in the right way and in a way that you actually want to highlight the important things. So it's amazing. That's awesome. So um, yeah, did it was obviously quite unexpected as it was for everyone. <laughs> That's, yeah, it would have been so exciting. What, what has it actually meant for your research work as opposed to just personally? Yeah, so the research was like, um, because I my work usually, um, well, actually people used to tell me, uh, say my work is basically I stay in the lab and then no one actually care about my work. But then all of a sudden, actually the profile is everywhere and then we got the media release and also interview opportunities and then everyone start care about my work and then What's also interesting is actually the venture capital is coming to us and saying, oh, your work is really exciting, this device you're making. Uh, can we talk about potential commercialization opportunities? And all those things happen to us. I, it's amazing. That's incredible. And we'll go into your research yeah. so that the listeners understand what we're actually Why talking about when you say yeah. this device, which yeah. is very exciting. And um, so, Samantha, can you tell our listeners what it's like to be a young researcher, even just your day-to-day life? 
It's actually kind of tricky to answer that because I, I don't know if there's an average yeah. normal no. day, <laughs> but I think that's a good thing. Mm. It means that your job has lots and lots of variety. So, a, you know, one day you might be out in the field studying the plants and animals, getting dirty, doing all that fun stuff. The next day you might be in the lab, you know, doing some analysis. After that, you might be hunched over your computer doing statistics and writing or something like this or teaching your students. And so there's there's no average typical day to day. It's it's just lots of different things all of the time. And so do you have a team that you work with? Yeah, I, I'm really lucky. I'm a part of quite a large team of about 25 people, and it's a really cooperative style uh, of getting things done. So everyone has different skills they bring to the table, and we're all trying to meet one objective together. Right, yeah. And so do, what's your role within that team? Do you, do you, is your role quite self-directed? As you're saying, every day is a little bit different. Do you get to kind of uh, guide that for yourself or is there someone telling you what you need to do every it's day? It's a bit of a mix, isn't it, sometimes? Um, there's definitely a lot of intellectual freedom when you're a researcher, so you can chart your own course a little bit, but there's a lot of factors that guide what you do, mm-hmm. uh, one of them being the politics of the day as well, you know, what's needed for society, what mm-hmm. do people want out of the research that's happening in Australia and, and that sort of thing, what your what your funding yeah. <laughs> allows you to do as well is also something you have to think about. So you've got to be pretty dynamic and creative and flexible. And high energy. Yeah. I think yeah. that's the other thing mm-hmm. is when you're a researcher every day, lots of energy, you have to bring your A game. Uh, yeah. yeah, there's you can't slack off. Yeah. <laughs> Would you say that your experiences have been the same? Absolutely. Yeah. I think the last point in particular, you know, you have to bring your absolute motivation to every day, energy for every day, because the flip side of that, you know, very self-motivated, very um, autonomous life is the fact that it is on your own shoulders to to drive your productivity each day. And for me, that's that I love that. That's what drives me to go to work every day because I, I get to choose what I do and I and I'm enjoying the tasks that I'm doing every day. But for some people, that can be a little bit intimidating, I suppose, but I think it's one of the, the best things about STEM mm. is the flexibility, the autonomy, the initiative, and that real independence. Where are you guys located? Where do you spend most of your time doing your work? You've mentioned outside. And I, get, I get to go outside <laughs> yeah. sometimes, yeah. Ecology means you do get to go outside and, and, yeah. sp- and spend time outdoors, but... Um, I think one of the myths that should be busted, especially with Instagram, is yeah. there's usually a lot of really gorgeous photos of uh, environmental scientists <laughs> out doing what they do. But we spend a lot of our time in labs and doing the actual data analysis mm-hmm. on computers, which right. doesn't photograph quite as well. <laughs> <laughs> Very wide and sterile. Is that um, located in Samri or are you at the labs in Adelaide Uni? Uh, I work at the Wake campus. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. where I'm based. Close to the to the ecology. Yes. <laughs> nice. Um, so, Hannah, do you think that this Superstars in STEM program is reaching its goal of keeping young women in STEM? Absolutely. I think it's doing a really fantastic job of really destigmatizing women in STEM and, and showcasing and celebrating the, the diversity in what a scientist can look like. So I think it's absolutely ticking its boxes in that in that respect. I think society in general has a way to go, though. We, we still see declining numbers in women maintaining positions in STEM. We have definitely seen increases in the number of girls entering into STEM programs, but it's that longevity and sustainability of women in STEM, particularly 
particularly around childbearing years, you know, as soon as you go off and have a baby, <laughs> there are some, some logistical hurdles um, in returning with that same level of productivity and output. And unfortunately, we are very much assessed on our output. You know, that's our major KPI. And so I think the, the system could do with a, a little bit of improvement in terms of um, the support structures that are put in place to make sure that women are able to go off, have babies, have that family time and not be disadvantaged by that. You know, you, you should be able to have a career and, and have babies. But I definitely think we're moving in the right direction. And programs like, like the Superstars of STEM are, are perfect examples of the initiatives that will help that. Yeah. Yeah, that, there's a lot of factors at play there, social and professionally and personally as well. Uh, Sam, you're pregnant yes, at the I moment. Yes, I am. How yeah. far through into your pregnancy are you? Uh, I'm about eight months. Wow. So we're yeah. getting close. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Has that uh, journey been um, well supported in your job? Are you, are you feeling like um, you can step into that role of mother and maintain your, your position and, and your passion for science? I felt very well supported. Uh, the people that I work with, a lot of them are parents, so they've experienced it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they've they've given me a lot of freedom to make sure that I can focus on the main things that I need to do to make sure my career is as unaffected as possible and making it easy for me to come back when I'm ready to come back as well. So I feel really lucky in mm-hmm. that regard because not everybody works in, in a group or a lab that provides that kind of support. So I feel yeah. pretty blessed. Great. Awesome. So, Jalen, can you tell me a little bit about your project? Yeah, so um, the, about the invention and yes. the device. <laughs> yes. So um, we build, we call it higher-sized camera. So it's um, size of the single strand of human hair, but it's able to actually get very clear uh, cellular resolution images um, deep down inside the body. So we're now currently using it inside blood vessel to look at whether there is any plaque to the fatty deposit that potentially causing heart attack. So going in there and then getting the clear image. Okay, so so your, I guess your goal is to um, to identify risk of heart attack yes, through this tiny camera. Yes, yes. Awesome. Who is at the highest risk of heart attack? Yeah. And we've talked before, and I remember you saying that you studied between an engineering building and a hospital, exactly, and you yeah. found that synergy quite inspiring for yeah, your work. Definitely, it's really bringing us the best environment. You can actually get time to go to the hospital to see how the operation is actually being done, and also on the other hand, to actually go to the engineering lab to try all those new ideas and then find people, even though maybe it's all beyond my expertise, but actually find the right people for software engineer mm-hmm. or some other expertise, and then bring in all those talents together in the same project. Great. So what was your undergraduate degree? What what degrees have you done to get you to this point where you are able to have this skill set? Yeah. <laughs> so I started with optical engineering, which is like electrical engineering, optical engineering combined degree. Uh, so it's very hardcore engineering. Um, but then I realized actually I have a great passion for actually using them for uh, medicine, medical device. So that's why I moved on to biomedical engineering for my uh, PhD study. But I think the solid skill, hardcore engineering skill really helped me a lot for my career that I now understand if I'm working with other engineers, software engineers, or even any other aspects, uh, hardware engineers, I know their language. I can actually debug problems, fix them together, and troubleshoot together with them. Yeah, it's pretty incredible that 
as an with an engineering background, you you have um, a grant from the Heart Foundation. Yes, and also now NHMRC, so the yeah. medical, yeah, institute. Beautiful. Yeah. That's such an incredible relationship between industries. Yeah, exactly. Well done for bridging that gap. It's really lucky. Like we have found this really nice niche area to yeah. work on. Yeah, great. And Hannah, can you tell me about your project? Sure. So I work in the field generally called supportive care and cancer, which is more than its name suggests. People usually think it's just, you know, making sure that a person is supported through cancer therapy, but it's, it's also making sure that the side effects that they develop during treatment are adequately man managed um, or even prevented. And it's also about making sure they have the skills and the tools that they need to go on and live a very happy, fulfilling life after treatment so that they're not burdened by the complications of cancer treatment. Right. So there's a lot of moving parts in that. There's a lot. <laughs> gathering a lot of disciplines. Yep. So are you sort of the middleman for making that all Exactly. That That's one of the best things about supportive cancer care, I think, is that just like you were saying, it's very multidisciplinary. So on some days I work with an oncologist, on other days I'm working with microbiologists, psychologists, nutritionists. It really is a very multifactorial um, team of people that are required to provide adequate supportive care. Great. I mean, a, a lot of people when they're younger say that they want to cure cancer or they want to go into that, that research area in cancer because it's so huge. But I love how, um, how your role is far more macro than so micro. Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. And so what was your journey um, through uni to get to that point? So I started with a health sciences degree here at the University of Adelaide and I majored in anatomy, pathology and reproductive biology. So an interesting mix. Yeah. Um, and I then went on to do honours and a PhD in medicine. And, and that was where I really started to, um, I suppose, develop a passion for supportive care. I looked at how various chemotherapeutic drugs affected the cells in our gut. And this was what really put me on the path of looking at how gut health is really important in um, positioning someone's mental health and physical health after cancer. Right, that's very cutting edge. Yeah. That's very relevant <laughs> right now. I feel like everyone's talking about poo. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. And what about you, Sam? What's your project in a nutshell? Well, I work for TURN, which is the Terrestrial Ecosystem Research Network, and we are Australia's major ecosystem monitoring organization. So we have hundreds of people working for us all over the country. And what we do is we collect environmental data on pretty much everything, climate, soil, plants, animals, and then we package all of that data up and make it freely available to scientists anywhere in the world. And the hope is that they use all of that great data to investigate things like climate change or issues regarding biodiversity. So that's a big team of people doing that. <laughs> Couldn't do that all by myself. <laughs> so my role, I get to wear a lot of different hats depending on the day, uh, but a lot of what I do is about helping to create all of that data. I design the methods that are used to collect it to help make sure it's the best it can be. And then I get to design tools and software as well that share that data with scientists so they can actually get to it wow. to, to put it in their study. That's so practical. Yeah. Do you, um, did, so I, I know that you came to Australia uh, studying marine biology? Yes, marine biology. With sharks? With sharks. Is that right? Yeah. yeah, nothing to do with plants on yeah. the land. Yeah, <laughs> that was not where I started. So what, what attracted you to Australia? I think, well, I was 23 mm -hmm. when I moved here. And I hadn't really tested myself, I think, in terms of how independent I could be. Mm -hmm. I've, I've always been lucky. I've had a big family network, but I wanted to see how I would go if I 
couldn't rely on that. Like yeah. They were 40 hours away by plane. Yeah. So yeah, that was a big incentive to come here was just test my mettle a little bit mm. and, and see how I could go on my own. Beautiful. So you wound up north? I started north. Yeah. yeah, I started uh, my PhD. I got that at James Cook University, which is in Townsville. So I started very classic Australia tropics yeah. you know, on the Great Barrier Reef, and I'm slowly making my way down to the yeah. bottom. <laughs> So I, it's pretty obvious that a lot of uh, that all of you have done quite a bit of travel um, throughout your journey as researchers. Hannah, you went to the Netherlands for I a did. while. Can you tell us about how that affected your work or impacted your work and influenced your work? Absolutely. So yeah, I was really lucky enough to secure an NHMRC CJ Martin Fellowship, which is a bit of a mouthful, but it's essentially an, an exchange fellowship for postdoctoral researchers. So you get two years overseas and two years back in Australia. Um, so I used that to head off to the Netherlands where I went and worked in the largest university medical centre in, in the Netherlands. And this was a fantastic opportunity because just like Sam said, you know, it was an opportunity for me to test out how I went on the other side of the world. I'd done all my study in Adelaide to date. So firstly, on a personal level, it was really fulfilling to, to carve out that new life there and, and have all the new challenges of living in a new city. But on a professional level, it was really insightful. The Netherlands has a really efficient system of hospitals and they place supportive care really at the absolute centre of people's cancer care. And this is a little bit different to how Australia does it. So for me, it was an incredible learning opportunity to see how other countries provide supportive care to their patients mm -hmm. and bring some of those approaches back to Australia. And I think that that has really allowed me to position my own group here with this international perspective and this ability to sort of challenge how things are done here in Australia and, and advocate for more visible and, and more patient-centric care. Do you think that the, the, the guys in Netherlands um, just do that better, that whole process? Yeah, the Netherlands just in general, even with their social infrastructure, they are really progressive and forward thinking. And so I think that that has definitely influenced how they provide their care to patients. And so I think you hit the nail on the head. It's much more than just a cure these days. You know, we have huge numbers of people diagnosed with cancer now, but actually the survival rates are the highest they've ever been, particularly for childhood cancer. They're up around 90%. So it's kind of, we're at an interesting crossroads now where we've got to say, okay, well, we've kind of done almost a pretty good job of, of curing cancer. Now we need to make sure that the people who are affected by cancer are not disadvantaged by that cancer diagnosis. And so a little bit more forward thinking around, you know, the, the decades of life that they have ahead of them and making sure that they're, they're not, uh, or they're able to go back to work, go back to school, engage socially. All of these things are really important factors that we must consider now that we have this huge population of people who are surviving cancer. Mm. Definitely. And Jawen, where were you born and where did you grow up and how did you come to Adelaide? Yeah, so we, I will probably already tell this from my strong accent, like the Chinese accent that I was born and raised in China. And uh, it was actually a very historic city called Xi'an, the terracotta warriors, all the like the uh, sculptures buried underground, that's what the city famous for. Um, but it was uh, actually a city like probably already 2000 years history. And uh, uh, it just happened to be one of those that also very conservative, like don't want people to actually leave the city and everyone seems enjoy the life there. So my parents always told me, oh, you know, like the traditional culture is uh, girls don't even marry to people outside the province. So what I did was, I don't want to live that kind of life. I want to see the world. So I decide, okay, 
from my undergrad study, I moved as far as I can to the northern side, so the southern side of China. Uh, and then that started my journey, and it all of a sudden unstoppable. And then I went to the United States for my PhD study. And then uh, as for, uh, when my parents were thinking, OK, finally, you finished your PhD study. You should be coming back home. And then I got this job in Australia. And then <laughs> now I'm here. And I was actually quite similar uh, with Sam's situation that I was thinking, OK, where to go next? And then other places, I kind of already traveled to Europe during my PhD. So I'm like, OK, it's not as interesting as going somewhere really down under. And then you don't even <laughs> get a chance to go unless you actually get a job to really live here and visit a different city. So that's how I came here. But then it ends up a two-year contract become a very long, and I don't even know why I'm going to live here. <laughs> but it's really, yeah, really beautiful. And it's just, yeah, very nice plan in a way that a lot of like um, coincidence actually happened together as well for my career journey as well. Yeah, that that's so cool. You would have so many life experiences. Yeah, it's really useful, like to to actually. I think that's part of research. I love that you actually get a chance to travel to different places mm. and experience the culture. Yeah. Mm. What I love about all of your research journeys is how um, multifaceted they are. Different industries, different disciplines, different parts of an ecosystem. There's so many parts at play, and I think that's a really important point to drive home because, especially as young people, you think of scientists and research researchers, looking at the microscopic little cells. And for some people, that is what research looks like. And that's incredible as well. Um, but it's, it's great to see, yeah, researchers that are involved in so many aspects of the world we see around us. So Sam, Hannah and Xiaowen, thank you so much for your time today. Um, I've learned a lot and I'm sure that all of our listeners on the Discovery Pod have as well. And um, we are so grateful for all the incredible work you do. Um, and thank you for being such inspiring powerhouses in this incredible area of STEM. Thanks for listening to the Discovery Pod, brought to you by the University of Adelaide. Join us next time when we discuss nutrition.